Welcome to Tech Connect, a podcast that will introduce you to Arizona's most innovative individuals and creative minds. Brought to you by the Arizona Technology Council and powered by Coplex. Our sponsor, Coplex, is an expert team of startup creators located in Phoenix, Arizona. Ranked top seven startup accelerator, Coplex helps non-coding industry experts start successful tech companies and get them to venture ready in as little as nine months. Hello, AZ Tech community, and welcome to the Tech Connect podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Witte, Director of Marketing and Communications at the Arizona Technology Council. And I am very excited about this special episode celebrating Veterans Day and some of the incredible vets in tech that we have here in the Valley. We are joined by Mike Gugamos, CIO at Insight, an Army veteran. We are with Kelly Green, COO of the Arizona Technology Council Foundation, also an Army veteran. Kurt Cornum, VP of Global Business Transformation, Marine Corps veteran, and Jeff Hodges, Director of Global IT Operations at Insight, Air Force veteran. First of all, thank you. To- well, I love that. And maybe um, and we can open this up to the group as well. Can you talk a little bit about that? You mentioned the way you guys are all consistently trained. Yeah, I'll, I'll kick it off and then I'll turn it over to the other folks. We had talked about this before, Lauren, where the military as a whole embraces diversity, but at its core, it doesn't care about it. And what that means is we'll take people from everywhere because we represent every aspect of life in the, in the nation. But the reality is it's what have you done today? What are you going to do tomorrow and how are you held accountable to it? All right, Mike, let's start with you. You know, when you and I had originally talked about this podcast, admittedly, I only had army veterans on the docket. And you explained to me why we had to be more inclusive and, and bring all the service um, families together, so to speak. So can you talk a little bit about why that's important? Yeah, absolutely. And in a nutshell, we all like to tease each other. So it'd be a very boring podcast without uh, having all of us on to, uh, to give each other guff back and forth. But more importantly, any one particular service can't do the job that the nation needs. And it's kind of like the the fingers on a hand throwing the Coast Guard. And each unit has a very, very specific mission. And they do things a bit differently between them. But at the core, they function very, very well together. And you need to have all the digits, all your fingers, united and working on the same missions. And how do they do that? A very commonized training. So to me, it just felt a bit odd to have an army discussion when we're supposed to be doing something for vets in tech. It was, it was too isolated and focused. Marine Corps boot camp, so I won't bore you with those. But in terms of the training part being consistent, when I got out of, the, when I got out of boot camp, I went to what they call basic electrical and electronics school. And it was actually Navy-run schools. And we were in class with, uh, you know, with folks from the Navy as well as, as the Marine Corps and then we read the, even other folks on the base from other branches of the service as well. So you do see a lot of that very consistent training. And, you know, some of us probably, probably economies of scale, but we didn't really, weren't wearing our, uh, our branch of the service on our sleeves, so to speak. And Mike says they break you down as an individual and then build you back up. He, he couldn't be more correct. I was on a negative path and then the basic training put me on the proper path taught me respect for elders and some of the basics that 
didn't I didn't have before. Yeah, and it, it's kind of interesting where it's called basic training. And as Jeff just said, it really is the basics. It's uh, what do you do from the moment you get up in the morning? You make your bed, you, you wash your face, you brush your teeth, you do exercise, you go to school, you learn, and then you work, and you come home and you clean up and you eat, you clean everything up, and then you go to bed again. But how, from the military, one of the things uh, that we had talked about before too, Lauren, was on how it prepares people to deal with the ambiguous as well as very direct feedback. And Kelly and I had long conversations on this in the past. I'm curious what Kurt's perspective is relative to learning how to accept feedback as it applies to going into the workplace, like that transition coming out of the Marine Corps and going into a professional environment. Yeah, I think in terms of, you know, the feedback to your point, you had to deal with uh, ambiguity, but that was more like a day-to-day basis of just what you're, you know, having to deal with as part of whatever role that you were in. But the, uh, the there was a lot of structure around getting feedback, and I, I think one of the things I learned from from that experience was if you understood the structure, that you could take advantage of it in a positive way, right? You needed to know, you know, what were you going to be great, graded on, where the metrics. Uh, were there things that you could do to advance yourself, even though you're part of a much bigger machine? I think it's, you know, different for every single individual, whether you're male or female. But, you know, I did learn the the structure. And then I did take advantage of the fact that, you know, as long as I knew what I was doing, it didn't matter that I was a female. And when I joined the military, women weren't allowed to do everything. And after 21 years, you know, I was committed to that structure and I enjoyed a little bit of the ambiguity, but on a day-to-day basis, if I knew my structure and I knew what I was going to be doing and who was on my team to complete that um, mission with, it was more effective. And so, you know, taking that into the workforce now as a civilian is really powerful. I think a lot of people, um, you know, constantly look at me and say, wow, you did 21 years and they're a little surprised, uh, especially with three combat tours and, you know, being right in the thick of things to be able to still be functioning and then have the drive to do new things on my team in the office. You know, they, they don't necessarily all want to work as a team, but then in the military, we learn everybody's important and everybody has a specific role to make that structure work. And I got to be part of the, an ambiguity giver as opposed to an ambiguity receiver. So they allowed me to have uh, a walkie talkie that had all of the communication nets across the base and during the exercise, uh, I was I was able to impersonate an officer and give commands out to the troops, nonsensical commands, and and see how fast they would react and figure out that I wasn't who I said I was. So when you when you do things like that, again, the, these high stress situations, you're dealing with ambiguity, you're dealing with a lot of people that your only commonality is the uniform that you wear and the basic training that you went through. How did, how did those things translate into the workplace? And what do you do with other vets when they come in or you interact with them, particularly in the tech community? Kurt? Well, you know, it was, uh, it was probably a combination of, of dumb luck and great timing for me uh, because I got out of the Marine Corps the, the month that IBM introduced the original IBM PC. And so I, uh, you know, I went back to college and I took a class in microcomputer programming. And so the tech that I learned in the Marine Corps, which actually I had a pretty techy job in the Marine Corps, uh, kind of started me on that path. And then, you know, just having that disruption in the industry 
uh, for me, it was a great time to get out. So uh, honestly, I didn't have a lot of exposure when I got out of the Marine Corps. It was like a different world to me because I wasn't really as, as exposed to uh, many vets, honestly, uh, that were, you know, kind of in my peer group that, that were my age in tech at that time. A lot of the folks that I met had kind of come up through, you know, kind of more traditional. They went through, you know, went through high school and college and, and started working and those kind of things. I think it's, it's been later on in life that I've kind of reconnected uh, with veterans through work. And uh, it's, a, it's just a different mindset. It's not always spoken. But when I meet folks that are veterans, there's just uh, there's a certain sense there that we kind of came from. We have the same base of knowledge that we not necessarily telling everybody uh, outright, but we just relate in a different way than we would with other. Well, people. that's how Mike and I picked it up last week. We we met on the podcast and instantly we had a connection because we are veterans and we are army veterans. And then even finding out we were in Misawa, um, you know, stationed in the same place. I think Lauren, you could attest to the natural um, connection that we made via your podcast last week. So yeah, it was really fun listening to you guys, um, you know, just kind of take the podcast away and now bringing in, um, you know, more of the the branches and it's still being very natural. But you guys haven't been as jabby. You haven't been throwing around as many jabs as I expected. Correct. We're trying to be professional. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we could, it could go bad. But quick, I mean, so but that's we, part of the thing that we talk about it, Lauren. And that's one of the yes. things that we try to do with a group of us of vets that get together, we're going to invite Kelly to it. Now we get together, I don't know, every six or eight weeks just for lunch. And it's folks tied to tech in the Valley that are vets and it covers everything from the national guard again, through the coast guard. And, um, it's amazing. And I love that, that you guys do that. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what that means to you? Why do you guys get together? You know, for me anyways, I'm much more comfortable around vets than I am other people. And it's, it's simply because that's where I grew up. As Kelly talked about, I was 17 years old, went to the service and uh, was in a little bit of a different kind of a unit. I served in, in special forces with, in a subgroup, which would be called a special operations team with inside special forces that was tied to intelligence collection. And very small group. We spent a lot of time away from other people. And what I learned is that there's this immediate bond and it came through on this call with the people on it. Kelly and I had it right away. And there's, there's not as much office politics that occurs when a group of vets is involved. And it pains me to say that, but it's true. In, in my experience, vets are used to walking around in a uniform that has a walking resume. And if you fake something on it, people call you on it, you'll actually go to jail. Um, you can tell if people have been deployed to different places. You can tell what experience they have by technical schools. You can tell how many years they've been, do, been in. You can tell if they've been deployed to combat just by watching them walk. And that creates this environment where people don't hide things as much. And also your pay is published. Everybody knows what you make. All you got to do is look at their sleeve or look at their collar and you know how much money they make. And so it creates a weird connection that other people simply don't get. And being around other vets makes me feel comfortable. And I don't do it often, but every now and then we get together and we help each other out on resumes. We talk about things going on in the workplace and we do it with a high degree of candor that I'm not sure other, other subgroups do. 
Now, I'm curious what the rest of the folks think. Yeah, this is Kurt. I'd say that kind of that tr- uh, that tendency to be more transparent and more candid. I think that's probably what Lauren and heard when Mike, when you and Kelly were, you know, met for the first time, but having a discussion, even though you're both in the army, there's still kind of some ribbing that goes on. And, uh, you know, I was in the Marine Corps, but I got a chance to uh, cross the equator, right? So now I'm a shellback, uh, which uh, is what another distinction. So, you know, for the folks in the Navy, there's, you know, the polywogs and the shellbacks, and there's just all these different distinctions that are made. And so it gives, an, there's a lot of opportunity to, you know, rib people in a, in a nice way. But that candor, I'll, I'll just, you know, this, this story might get cut from this podcast before I get done with it, but uh, <laughs> it's pretty clean. But here's, a, here's an example. I remember we were, uh, we were going somewhere off base and we all got in, in uh, one of the guy's cars and we got about a quarter of the mile. And somebody said, okay, who in the car has dragon breath? Right. And so it's an example of the kind of candor and direct feedback you got or at least I got, it wasn't me for the record. <laughs> I was just going to um, ask, uh, was it you? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but that's the, an example of. Yeah, I love that, Mike, you brought that up before, this walking resume and really just this kind of no BS culture. Um, and I think that too much or too often in today's society, people are trying to, you know, one up each other. When I Came back to the States from, from Japan and went to work. I was on third shift in manufacturing at Motorola. The, the transition was difficult because of that. And this is why I go back to I enjoy spending time with, with vets when possible because there is that high degree of candor. If they don't like you, they tell you. If they like you, they tell you they love you. Everybody's a brother or a sister or your family or, or you're completely ostracized. So there's no gray space. Um, and it uh, for me... It allows things to be much more effective because you're not guessing, you know, and even though the directions might change because that's reality of the workplace, you know that the directions when they're being given, it's something you need to go execute to. Or if you're getting feedback, it's something you need to go modify and change. And you know it's coming from a place of we, where it's the team and you want the team to succeed, which was for me a big change coming out of the military to the business where a lot of it was the whiff them, what's in it for me. Yeah, I agree. I think that there's um, definitely sometimes I have, you know, numerous people on my team with a different skill set, and I see that as an opportunity to give them specific tasks. But then sometimes <laughs> the fellow veteran that um, is on my team, he'll remind me, Kelly, they're not in the military. And they don't understand, you know, the, I want this done now, or you have three days for this and time on task, that kind of thing. But I, I really accept the fact that um, they're looking for that structure. And I think (laughs) that people are more productive when they know what is expected of them, when it's expected. And then if they don't meet the standard, I think that's the other part that we haven't really mentioned is that everything in the military is black and white. You know, if you met the standard or you didn't, and there's no real, there's a little bit of gray in between, but there are specific set standards that everybody knows they're published to everybody. You know, everybody is working toward the same goal, but in a different direction, maybe. So I think coming to the the business world, and being put in this position of, you know, the chief operations officer is exciting, but it's a different group of, of soldiers. And so really understanding how non-veterans work has been something I'm um, working on as well. 
Well, Kelly, I wanted to um, keep it with you for a little bit um, and talk about you're now a woman in STEM education. You were a woman in in the military. And can you talk a little bit about your experience um, that you had the chance to to do some teaching while you were deployed? Is that right? Yeah. So the cool opportunity is that they're out there. And, you know, they mentioned it earlier, if you can find the structure and then take advantage of opportunities that are available, like, for example, you know, Mike being able to go special forces or some people go into air assault school or airborne. Um, When I was deployed, my well, the first time I was a machine gunner, but um, that was empowering in itself because women were not expected to be in combat. Then when I went back my second time to Iraq, I was actually in a higher ranking position working at the core level with the 18th Airborne Corps. And not only did I teach soldiers how to improve their GT score to get their better jobs in the military, um, which was really empowering, by the way. I also had a chance to work with a Navy commander um, to help organize the Victory Base Council for the Boy Scouts and Girls Guides. And we used the Iraqi Special Forces children who lived within the safe zone of the green zone. And we met with them each Saturday and did different Boy Scouting and Girl Scouting activities. And of course, the male situation they didn't want to let their little girls participate, but um, because they lived on base, we had the Iraqi special forces had twin daughters. So I started with those two little girls and then eventually I got to nine for about three months. And then we actually branched out and went to the schools nearby. Now in the second part of my deployment came out a whole mission called winning their hearts and minds and, you know, trying to understand what the Iraqis were feeling about having the military forces in their country. And I also worked in Intel. So part of it was figuring out um, how to improve the communication that we weren't there to destroy their country. We were trying to help them stand up and be strong. So it was a neat opportunity to work with the children and then the schools in the area. And every Saturday we spent about six hours um, teaching Taekwondo. We involved their teachers. Um, I got to work with up to 40 girls every Saturday. And then we also invited our um, fellow servicemen and women and contractors on the base to come out and volunteer their time. So it was an amazing experience to actually integrate with the local community in a positive way, rather than, you know, my first tour being a machine gunner and you know, them always ask like, whoa, is that a woman? <laughs> I think there are, there are a yeah. lot of people that were, I had a lot of other forces, you know, Ukrainians and um, the Polish that would always want to take a picture with me next to my machine gun because they were surprised that a woman was allowed to um, be in that position. But at the age of 25, it was very empowering and um, nobody on my team ever doubted my abilities. It was really empowering. So staying in, and completing the 21 years probably stem from that opportunity to, you know, be seen as one of the guys and really pulling my weight and always carrying my own duffel bag. And I love my military experience and, you know, I miss it some days. I bet the gentleman on here can attest to the fact that sometimes you miss that day-to-day structure and that common camaraderie with your, with the folks you work with. So, you know, absolutely. It was an experience. I, I definitely miss putting on the uniform sometimes. Kelly we hit on this. There's a structure and there's a rhythm. And what's interesting is when you go to your units, they expect you to have a certain set of competencies. And they, again, 
they embrace diversity, but they don't care about it. Can you deliver on your basic expectations? And once you figure that out and you're in basic training, doesn't matter what they ask you to do. It's like, ah, okay, just go do it. And it's a great mindset that translates very, very well into business. Know what the basic expectations are and then go do it. Yeah, yeah. for me, one of the most uh, interesting things about basic training, because I'm kind of a student of, you know, just kind, kind of the, you know, human culture and what's happening was that we seem to have uh, people, kind of blocks of guys from different parts of the country. And I thought I grew up in a fairly diverse community in, in, uh, here in Phoenix, but uh, man, I had no idea uh, we were all had, a, you know, had things that we were trying to get done. And, and that was just kind of the basic training. After that, it kind of dispersed and became, you know, not quite the, the groups that you saw that were geographically uh, united. And I think, you know, boot camp brought them together kind of as a, uh, as a you know, some commonality, something they could kind of, uh, can, you know, relate to as, as terms of getting through boot camp. As a, Bert, as and a, Jeff, I must ask, were you uh, 17, 18? When were you? Uh, when did you join? Yeah, I, I heard that you and, and Mike were 17. I, uh, I, you know, I was running away from something quite, you know, honestly, I was ready. I was ready to leave home, but I didn't, uh, I didn't leave till I was 19. So I, uh, I went to college for a year and then I, then so I, it's uh, interesting, in Lauren, because not everybody joins that early. So the other part about staying in for 21 years, I had to experience the soldiers who came in after 9-11 and the, some of those soldiers were, you know, 26, 31, just under, you know, the the age bracket or they got a waiver and so people that are joining and learning these new skills at a later time is what I value about the tech industry is and you know I still work with students and I like the idea that you don't you're not a tree so if you don't like where you're at move and I think that that goes to say for all the people listening to this podcast that if you have an idea about something you'd like to do and, you know, you're even later in life. I mean, you still can. And the tech industry is probably the coolest place for you to learn something new and, you know, value the skills that you bring to the new industry. But then, um, you know, reinvent yourself and find a new passion. So it's pretty cool. So I think we probably have about time for one more question each. And I was thinking we could um, send this out to all of you. Maybe what one of your, what's your biggest lesson learned? work. Do your best. Good things will come. And don't get too hung up in what you're totally hating at the moment. You'll get through it. The sun will come up tomorrow. And that's a mindset I I talked uh, to you about before where on my first deployment with my unit, huge loads of weight. Everybody's carrying right around 100 pounds and nobody complained. And yet we walked for hours, walked for miles, and we did it for days. Nobody complained. They just did it because you knew you're going to get through it. The sun will come up tomorrow. What are we going to do next? And it's a it's a very good mindset. I love that. Let's turn it over to Kurt. Well, uh, you know, for me, and this is not exclusive to uh, the military experience, but I think it's one thing that we learned uh, from basic training on, which was around just developing this mental toughness and physical fitness. And that's something that that I've carried with me and it served me well, especially as I've gotten older. But right? I mean, I've, I joined uh, the Marine Corps 41 years ago. So I'm, you know, it seems like a different life when I actually served because I was only in for four years. But some of the things I've carried with me, 
I think around that, I just learned to be mentally tough. And so some of the things that happen just day in and day out, they just don't phase me uh, like they probably do other folks because it just I just can reflect on how much harder things had been in the past, or I'm just able to deal with them better. And so, like I said, it's not exclusive to folks being in the military, but I think folks that have been in the military develop that mental toughness uh, pretty early on. And, and being physically fit, I think, is important, too. But that's that's probably more of a personal thing for me. Awesome. And how about you, Kelly? I want to echo that, yeah, the mental toughness is definitely something that I had to learn right away, um, not just as a female, but as a soldier. And I've carried that with me as well. But I'm a huge fan of the lesson that everything happens for a reason. And I carry that with me on a day-to-day basis, even though being deployed three times and being away and all of that scary craziness that went on, you know, I really learned from it. And, um, you know, I, I really do look at every opportunity that's given or every opportunity that's missed and why. So, um, yeah. Um, something it's going to sound cliche, but uh, patriotism. I, I, I was a patriot before, but I'm a, probably a bigger patriot because of my service. Um, I'm one of those people that can, can hear the national anthem and my eyes will mist up. I love this country. I've been all over the, the world, and this is truly the greatest country on the on the planet. And um, it just reinforced my my commitment to this country. Well, thank you all so much for being on the podcast today. Um, Really appreciate everyone getting together so that we could have a diverse um, Vets in Tech podcast with with most of the branches represented. And thank you, Mike, for for helping this come together. And Kurt, Kelly, and Jeff for being on the podcast today. Thank you very much, And of course, thank you all for your service. And a very happy Veterans Day to all the vets listening out there. Please share this episode with your friends and subscribe to TechConnect on Apple Podcasts app or wherever you listen to podcasts to get alerted of future episodes. If you know someone that should be featured on TechConnect or have a question, please visit aztechcouncil.org and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Hashtag TechConnectAZ.